0: following interview was recorded in December 2019. Exploring the history of cannabis culture, one artifact and interview at a time. This is Canthropology. Presented by the World of Cannabis Museum Project. Your host, World of Cannabis Executive Director, Bobby Black. Alright, what's up everybody and welcome to a very special edition of Uh These are the Amsterdam Sessions coming to you live from Amsterdam. Uh, I'm out here uh, working on the World of Cannabis Museum project. And uh, I happen to be spending a lot of time with and uh, hanging out with a old friend of mine who is a, a, a staple, uh, an icon in the cannabis legalization and, and festival scene, Mr. Adam Brooke. He is the man behind Hash Bash for many, many years and also uh, just an icon on the Michigan legalization scene. What's up, Adam? How you doing, Bobby? Doing great, man. You know I'm doing good because you've been hanging out with me (laughs) a lot since I've been here, so you you know how I'm doing. Uh, I'm high on hash, uh, as I'm sure you are, Uh, eating good food and enjoying uh, everything this beautiful city has to offer.
1: Yeah, it's Amsterdam. It's kind of hard not to have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually,
0: not everything the city has to offer, because I have abstained from the Red Light District. So that's not quite everything. Everything else, let's put it that
1: way. Right. I wouldn't waste my money there, either. <laughs>
0: so, uh, Adam, it, you know, this is, it's so great to spend time with you uh, these past couple weeks, uh, because I hadn't seen you in quite a long time, um, but we definitely have uh, some history. Uh, tell everybody a little about your, your background
1: and, and, and how you got involved with cannabis. <laughs> Well, back in the late 80s, um, I had friends that had moved to Ann Arbor after high school. Actually, that would have been the mid-80s. And I kind of went and started hanging out there. And this year, the event would happen on campus called the Hatch Bash, which at the time was basically uh, fizzling out. It was a few... Sometimes 100 people, many times much less than that, showing up on the diag, just kind of commemorating an event that had happened. And uh, there were a group of local Ann Arborites who started to uh, push the event, build up the event. And a buddy of mine had written a letter to High Times and said, Hey, you guys should come cover this event because it's one of a few events at the time in the country and uh, it had been going since uh, 1972, and um, High Times kind of had just started this process of the fuel, food, fiber, and medicine concept that Jack Hare was pushing, and there was something called the Hemp Tour, and High Times was kind of grabbing hold of that and starting to show up at venues where there were these events, and, they invited high times and they showed up with a psychedelic painted bus and a bunch of freedom fighters. And I thought that was pretty cool. So I, I kind of looked them up and got involved with, uh, the freedom fighters and you start, uh, like any other activism, you start showing up at meetings and helping out. And a couple years down the road, it was my turn to be the MC. It was, you know, I just kind of fell into it. Um, I ended up emceeing and uh, hosting the event for about 25 years. And uh, we, of course, this was before social media. So, you know, we had to build up this event from basically dying out to promoting it through, um, you know, high times and uh, promoting it by taking advantage that all these people show up in Ann Arbor once a year for the rally. We would then promote other events around the state. Um, so the the movement itself was building, and, and we kind of helped to Hash Bash to grow. Um, but uh, I got involved because I wasn't a big pothead, but I, I had this issue about civil rights and... To me, smoking weed was one of those civil rights things that was kind of stupid, because it didn't make any sense why pot was illegal. We all know all the the horrible things they said about it, but there were no truths to anything that was being said. And I have a real problem with hypocrisy. So to me, it was kind of like, well, this is an interesting subject. And I was in a situation where I worked in a family business. I didn't have to worry about my reputation. Um, I eventually got in the head shop business, and my weed activism kind of fit right in. But I eventually ended up married, and wife had a job and supported us. So I could afford to be an activist because it certainly doesn't pay anything. If anything, it costs you money. Mm -hmm. And uh, the timing is everything. And this was at a time when Like I had mentioned earlier, these hemp tours were starting. So it enabled me, the guy who organized Hash Bash, to go around the Midwest and out to California and to the East and push this event, this Hash Bash, and let people know. The interesting thing about Hash Bash is its persona is much bigger than the actual event itself. Um, People will tell you that, yeah, I was at Hash Bash last year, man. You know, We got there. you know, 2 o'clock, we couldn't find a place to park. And by the time we parked and got to the, went to a restaurant, it was 4.30, and the hash bash was great. And I'm thinking, hey, you weren't at hash bash. Hash bash is a rally that takes place on the Diag at noon and lasts for an hour or two. So if you show up in town at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, you walk around smoking a joint, you were in town the day of hash bash, but you weren't at hash bash. So...
0: But it tends to go on after the rally well it's I mean, it, yeah it, it's
1: this whole day event I mean hash bash is originally hash bash was not a rally. It became a rally when we had promoted the event in the 80s. it started to get a little bigger the university tried to shut it down. We pointed out that this was a first amendment thing at which point we had speakers and this which is something that didn't happen in the past. Um, Hashbash is a unique event It, it started because there was a time in Michigan when there actually were no marijuana laws and pot wasn't necessarily legal the laws had been ruled unconstitutional and there were new laws about to come on the books that the legislature had passed and those laws were to take effect April 1st, 1972 people put up flyers around town that said Hash Fest, High Noon Diag. It was only after an article was written in the paper that referred to it as a hash bash that it took on that name. Um, But this was just a protest to the man to say, you know, fuck you, you can pass any law you want. We're still going to come out and smoke weed. Um, And the fact that this new weed law was going to take effect on April Fool's Day just made the government look like idiots. So these local people in Ann Arbor came out and did this thing. Now, <clears throat> our history on this event, while that's how it started, is a little more in-depth and, and uh, actually a little more uh, historical uh, figures and, and actual players. Um, John Sinclair had been arrested for the possession of two joints he was remanded to jail with no appeal bond, which was unheard of at the time. Um, he was sentenced to eight and a half to 10 years, and normally you would get an appeal bond, and you post money and wait for your appeal. No appeal bond, they sent him to jail. So he was serving this time fighting his appeal. And one of the things John's case was able to do, well, it's twofold. One he was able to overturn the marijuana laws in Michigan. That's what eventually led to hash-bash. And the way he did that was he used the law against them. The law said that marijuana was a narcotic. His lawyers went into court and proved that marijuana was not a narcotic. It was a euphoria. Therefore, the law is bad law and needs to be... Didn't really apply
0: to it because it was miscategorized. Correct.
1: Now... As a side note, the interesting thing is the law they then wrote said cannabis sativa was a banned product, uh, banned substance, which, okay. We'll grow into that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I know, a, I know a lawyer, though, yeah.
1: who would go into court every time somebody got busted with pot. I'm talking for the last 30 years. Every time someone got busted for pot, he'd go in. I shouldn't say 30 years. He's probably stopped doing this 10 years ago. <laughs> But he'd go into court with this motion that said, you're holding my client on a cannabis sativa. You haven't tested it. You don't know if it's sativa or indica. And we're going to argue it was rudellis or <laughs> cannabis indica. And yeah. Anyway, so. That's funny. All right, so Sinclair got the law overturned. The law was invalid. The legislature had to come up with a new law while doing so. December 1971, Sinclair's still in prison. A concert's put together at Chrysler Arena in Ann Arbor, and it's a free John Sinclair concert, and it's to raise consciousness and awareness of this story of this man who was arrested for selling or giving two joints to an undercover cop.
0: Now, before before you go on, so, so who was John Sinclair at this point?
1: Was he was a, a poet. He, he was, was part of this... So there was this group in Ann Arbor prior to that, Detroit, called the White Panther Party, uh, the Rainbow People's Party. Um, They trans love energy. In fact, it was a communal living situation that to try to explain it to a 20-something would kind of just be a waste of time. But you have to have some concept of the 60s and the 70s and communal living. And um, these people were radicals. They were radicals of the time
0: they were rejecting all the models that society was the, giving them and just trying to create their own way correct. of being. Correct. And, and that was more more compassionate and less money based and less yeah.
1: But these people were also targets of the government. Which we, is why the
0: war on drugs started really is, is in the in with Nixon is correct. targeting those people. And
1: and the, the real story well so you brought up Nixon and I'll gladly take that. <laughs> So the whole story is, and I would encourage, because I'm not going to get into it here, but I would encourage your listeners, look up Nixon and Sinclair, because John Sinclair is the reason Nixon was impeached and run out of office. And it's real simple. Nixon had hid wiretaps in the Watergate Hotel. Nixon also ordered his people, Mitch John Mitchell, to bug the White Panther party. In the court case that Sinclair had been dragged into after he was already sitting in prison, and a explosion happened at a CIA office in Ann Arbor, and he was indicted for this bombing that he had no part of.
0: His blamed him because he was a White Panther.
1: Because the yeah. right yeah. they blamed, there were three White Panthers yeah. involved. Okay. And one of their lawyers in Discovery said, we want to all the recordings you have of these people. And the government came back in a motion and said, executive order. president doesn't have to give you that. They had no concept that there was recordings. They didn't know. At which point they went to court and they said, if you have recordings of us, you have to give them to us in discovery. And it went all the way to the Supreme Court This is a very famous case where the district, federal district court judge sued the United States government to say, you can't do this. Well, the Supreme Court had the ruling on a Friday, and it was supposed to be published Monday. And it would have said that the federal government does not have the right to listen to its citizen without a warrant even if the president says, tap their phones. Saturday, the Watergate was broken into, and the bugs that the president had put there were removed. That's what the Watergate break-in was. It was the removal of listening devices. Because Monday morning, the Supreme Court was going to rule that those listening devices were illegal. Who leaked the ruling to the president? Well, it's very simple. If you read the story and you look into it, You'll see who was the attorney general, who was the lawyer, who wrote the laws, who was working the system, and you'll see that Judge Rehnquist, who eventually became the Supreme Court Justice, was involved. And this is a great, true conspiracy that these people eventually got caught in this break-in, and the only reason they were there is because the Supreme Court Monday morning was going to rule that... What the president was doing was illegal, so they wanted to make sure they didn't get caught. Why? Because they did it to John Sinclair and his people. So Sinclair was directly related yeah, to... He the, was about
0: two dominoes behind. It was like, <laughs> That's it, right. Boom, boom, boom. And, this led to this, this led to that. And, and worse then, than yeah. that,
1: the government pushed over the dominoes. Yeah. These people did it to themselves. So Sinclair gets involved in this court case... Because he was trying to get himself out of prison, he changes the law in Michigan,
0: which brings us back to what we were talking about before. Was they were about to throw this concert to free John Sinclair? Well,
1: right. So they, so they, before they, I so rudely, no, no, right. So brought us on this <laughs> tangent, right. But so I did. So go correct. On. They put together this concert that has all the heavyweights of the time, all the local bands from Michigan, Bob Seeger. Um, Stevie Wonder showed up as a surprise guest now Stevie Wonder was a surprise guest but John Lennon and Yoko Ono were brought in Jerry Rubin was a part of this and he said hey I can bring my buddy John Lennon and he'd be interested And it, it, they made it happen
0: and they came in because they realized the gravity of Oh, right. What they were fighting for. It wasn't just because they liked John. No, no, no. It was because they wanted to support the cause of John Lennon's plan
1: was to overturn these laws all around the country by taking this show on the road and doing a tour. And that was, this was going to be the kickoff of that concept. (coughs) You also have to know that the federal government immediately went after John Lennon and tried to throw him out of the country because he became a weed activist um, and had been convicted of a weed crime. But uh, this concert brought so much attention. They had 15,000 people in Chrysler Arena. Um, you should know that University of Michigan will not rent out Chrysler Arena for music events anymore <laughs> because of events like that. And uh, it brought such attention to the John Sinclair issue that three days later he was released from prison. Wow. Which is interesting because Abby Hoffman got up at Woodstock and at, during the Who set and yelled Free John Sinclair and uh, Pete Townsend smashed him, beat the hell out of him. But you would think that a shout-out at the biggest rock concert of the time would have helped, but it really was a local effort that made this happen. And out of that, this was December, so Sinclair gets out. Then the law, because the law was overturned, the new law was to take effect. That's how Hash Bash was created, and all it was was a date, time, and place where people came together and smoked weed. Which now you well, might. is
0: how four twenty started too. Same, same, same thing, kind of. Except this, of was, done, biggest, this
1: was done. in protest. Yeah, four twenty was done. Four twenty started it was a small scale, right? But it was a, it was a time and it was a time of the day that people. Who knew each other would gather? So friends got together. It was very localized. It was a small group of people. How it got where it's at today is an interesting story. Right. The cash bash so was
0: once a year. It was in early April. It was the right? first
1: Saturday. It was April first. We eventually asked the crowd in the in the early nineties, um, you know, if it's on a if we do it the first Saturday, we get a much bigger crowd. So when it fell on a Wednesday, nobody would be there. So we eventually changed it to the first Saturday in April. But it started out as this protest where they just showed up and smoked weed. There was no speakers, there was no music. There were people sitting around in this big uh, town square. that A smoking kind
0: of. Yeah,
1: and uh, it was a smoking in the old fashioned way. Now, any event you go to has speakers, has activists. And Hash Bash has become that because we went, at one point the University of Michigan said, you're encouraging people to smoke weed we're not going to give you a permit because they at one point required permits and we're not going to give you a permit well we sued the university ended up taking them to court five times in six years Wow! at one point the, the judge finally said I'm tired of you doing this and fined them $5,000 and my ACLU lawyer got five grand just because uh, the university denied us for the dumbest reasons what they did do though Is they blew up our cause. If you look in most major media markets in America today, I guarantee you, you will see anywhere from two to ten articles, newspaper, magazine, whatever, about weed every day. Somewhere in major, it's everywhere. Back in the 90s, we couldn't get anything.
0: The only time you ever saw weed in the news
1: or media of any kind was some kind of negative. Oh, well, I was going to say if death. someone got if someone got killed in a car wreck and the car stunk like weed, they might write about yeah, that. Yeah, or, or if some smuggler got caught, you
0: know, like that's right. the but, only way. But, you, it was always a negative drug war. Correct. Something. Yeah,
1: but if we responded to that and we, so if there was a, a car accident where the car smelled like weed and they wrote about that, you know, stone driver ki- we might. Contact the paper and say, wait a minute, the car smelled like weed. That, there's no evidence that the driver was stoned. When you get the blood work back, then you can say that the driver was high. Until then, maybe his passenger smoked. You don't know, but you're fear-mongering. Or maybe somebody smoked days ago You're still, still smoking weed. Right, like you're, you're fear-mongering. Yeah. We couldn't get a retraction. We couldn't get a response. We couldn't get a pro article. We couldn't get Jack Hare interviewed because he was coming to Hash Bash. A week or you know, it's coming to Ann Arbor a week early. Let's set up some inter- some interviews. Shit, now I can get a you know a cockroach that smokes to join an interview, but yeah. in the, in the day you couldn't get a real interview. I had major players coming to Ashbash. Uh, we we would bring High Times out here. You have the dope magazine in the country coming to the smoking in the country, and media outlets wanted nothing to do with it. In order to get the TV cameras to show up at Ash Bash at noon on Saturday, I'd call them at about 9 o'clock on Saturday morning. And I'd tell them that we find, we just heard that the police are one year dressed in riot gear. One year they had 200 officers waiting in riot gear. And we found out about it. And we called them media and told them that we expected a riot. Because any time the cops dress in riot gear, they must... Be a riot about to happen. We'd never seen one at Fest, but maybe the cops knew something we didn't know. <laughs> and, and that worked. We got the media there that year. The next year, and of course the cops never showed up in riot gear, but they were in the fire department hanging out. The next year, because that worked so well, I called the media up and said, We spoke with the police and they're coming out to arrest as many people as possible. And you know, they used to arrest 50, 100 people, and now they were going to start doing this again. Sure enough, the media shows back up. Because right. they're looking for arrests. The they nice want those th-
0: negative headlines against the pot smoke. Correct. Guns, yeah. And
1: then, because ha- we moved hash-bash from the first to the first Saturday, we were able to take advantage of April Fool's Day. So every April 1st, we published some sort of, Bill Clinton was coming to hash bash <laughs> one year. Yeah. Um this year, I can tell you, I'll give you a little you want some breaking news? Sure. That Obama chick that's going to U of M. You know about her? That Obama guy, he had two babies. The daughter. Yeah. yeah. One of them goes to U of M. I heard she got caught busted with Lee, right? I hear she's coming to hash bash. Oh well, she- Yeah. So that'll be this year's big press release. (laughs) Those type of things. We had to do what we could to get the media to cover the event. Last year's Hash Bash, we had a sitting congresswoman. We had a couple former major ballplayers. John Sally was there. We had two elected city officials from the city of Ann Arbor. The governor sent a... Recorded message, the Attorney General sent someone to speak for her, both of which had spoke the year prior in their election year when they were running for office. So Hatch Bash is now the place politicians want to be seen.
0: You've come a long way, baby. (laughs) Yeah, and to
1: the point that they legalized recreational weed and put it on sale yesterday in Ann Arbor. It was three dispensaries. We're the only three in the state you could buy recreational weed. People stood in line for hours in, in the rain, weather, yes. snow, cold weather. They're claiming sales of 221,000. Mind you, they were getting 130 bucks for seven grams. But that's the new norm now. And it's a horrible system. It's broken. It is much better than some of the states that came before it. And it won't be as good as some of the states that come down the line. But I've been an activist for 30 years who have said it's all about moving the ball forward. So as fucked up as California's been, which, by the way, it took California 20 years to go from medical to rec.
0: And and, and they they have not done a very good job of their rollout at all. 64 has been bad on a lot of levels. Nobody has done well rolling out their system. Would you say that Denver's is... as the best of them? or No, no.
1: not at all. Because there are things that happened in states since Denver. So, Denver didn't have reciprocal agreements. So, you couldn't go there and purchase if you weren't a Denver cardholder. That doesn't happen anymore. Now, when you come online, you're reciprocal with all the states behind you. You can't be reciprocal with states ahead of you because you can't reciprocate with someone that doesn't exist. Yeah. So, that's how reciprocal law works. Denver had none. Plus, Denver did the shitty shit where they allowed these things to happen, like major events, and then said, oh, no, 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 no. We don't like the way that looks in our downtown or in our, and I've never been there, but wherever they held the major rallies, and we don't like that. So we're going to shit can all what you guys have done because you've come a long way, baby. Oh, well, yeah. yeah and, and, we, and we're not, we're not. We're not appreciative. We don't like. We don't whatever. We didn't know this was going to happen. We didn't know a hundred thousand people were going to show up in fucking Denver.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's exactly what happened with the cannabis cup, and it happened with their rally too. I mean, right. we had very we had the biggest cannabis <coughs> cups ever in the history of high times, two years in a row in Denver, and I mean, just phenomenal numbers of people. No real incidents no, problems, no it's, it's not about them It's not and about we had we had a, the mayor one of the mayors of in the nearby mm-hmm. town came to, to speak at the event and we had an ice ice cube came and played right there and it was we had we had some really amazing events there and then like, a year or two later they suddenly said no we right, don't want we don't want, we don't want this in our no community more, no more right
1: had you been black people, they wouldn't have said that but because you were black people. They can say that.
0: Yeah, it's discrimination. It's, uh, pot is a Look, civil rights issue, like you said. Whether, it, whether white
1: nationalists it, can march down the fucking middle of the street, no problem. This is America, two thousand nineteen. Want to have very fine people on both sides. Very fine people <laughs> want to have a pot fest, not in Denver.
0: Yeah, I mean, not in the city that is
1: famous that for. is legalized weed wait, 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 wait. For wait. you're the fucking mile high city. <laughs> it you're yeah. asking for it mind you michigan had the pure michigan campaign they just canned it oh. because someone somewhere decided it wasn't working or wasn't worth the money or whatever no problem the weed guys are happy to pick up the pure michigan mantra because it's perfect for what we do and it's just funny how the example i would tell you if you call and i encourage all of your podcast listeners because I know you have great listeners, but I also know none of them have the balls to do this. Mm. I encourage them that to call. This like a
0: challenge. This right? is a challenge.
1: <laughs> call the Ann Arbor Convention and Visitors Bureau and say, Hi, I was listening to Bobby Black's podcast, and they were talking about the Ann Arbor Hash Bash, and I'd like to get some information. Can you tell me about a decent hotel to stay at or any information about the Hash Bash and, like, when it starts or what and what. And the Ann Arbor Convention and Visitors Bureau, the group that's in the city where these, I say over 100,000 people show up in Ann Arbor that day. Because if you see what happens on a football Saturday where they have 130,000, you'll realize that this is... Or more, because 30,000 of those students disappear. They go back to their college. We shut down the city. There's so many people. How come the Ann Arbor... Convention and Visitors Bureau has no concept because we're weed people. Once again, had we been the local Baptist church and all black, they'd probably be all for us because it's liberal Ann Arbor. But they're not liberal enough that they accept that. That's
0: the last. That's the last bastion. Like politically correct, political correctness has made it unacceptable to be discriminatory towards gay people. Correct. It's unacceptable to be discriminatory. It still happens, but it's unacceptable. Socially, it's, 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 it's unacceptable. Right. If you do it flagrantly, Correct. you're going to be called out for it, Correct. and there will probably be consequences. Correct. But when it comes to pot smokers, you so can still discriminate all you want. There, you can fire us. You can are, take our kids away. You know, there like, are restaurants. How about this?
1: There are restaurants in the city of Troy, Michigan. Um, average home is probably 200000 in Troy. Average person probably makes 100000 There are restaurants. Ruth Chris, Morton, those type of chains. Of but top shelf, yeah. right? Signs on the door. If you smell like marijuana, you will not be served and refuse service. Are you kidding me? Me and my people say, no That's problem, Like a fucking Mort- lunch
0: counter in the fucking 60s. Thank and you. you yeah. We're
1: saying, no problem, Morton's. Yeah. We're going to dress head to toe in our weed gear. We're gonna have a session, the car outside, and we're gonna walk in and try to get served. They won't seat you. I said, fine, let's bring 30 people, let's make a reservation for 30 people. And all show up stinking. Because what are they gonna do? Turn away our money? Yeah, they will. They don't want. And they don't mind putting a sign on the door. It's one thing to be discriminatory. Okay, I worked as a doorman. I know how to discriminate and you'll never know. But you don't put a fucking sign on the door. (laughs) Because what's happening is people like me are showing up, posting that sign on this new thing called the social media. Yeah. And now you look like a dickhead because you put a sign on. Why is
0: that okay?
1: The sign I see most often was posted in a Denny's. Do you know how few Denny's there are? And somebody saw one somewhere, is, not even Michigan. This is the dumbest thing ever. Everyone knows that people who
0: smoke weed want to eat a lot.
1: It's and not a So and obviously, about
0: restaurants are the best place for stoners.
1: Except that's them. not the problem. These restaurants have an issue when people that are there complain. So if some lady walks in with her mink coat and you happen to be anti-fur, and she smells like cologne, or perfume I guess women wear, if you complain about her perfume just to get her thrown out because she's a fur person, they won't. But if she smells like weed, they'll get rid of her. No. But perfume is okay. The odor. The, the, their complaint yeah. is: you come in here, and, yeah, other and again, we're not talking about smoking in the restaurant. No, no, we're not
0: talking about sticking right. a hit or, or no, pens no, no. or anything. No, no. We're talking about just no. the aroma, the faint right. aroma of
1: unburnt no, no. marijuana on someone's, on someone's person. Maybe in your pocket, maybe not even on you. Maybe it was in the car. But even burnt marijuana on the person, if they yes. just smoked a the joint, these places don't want this. What if somebody came
0: in with strong body
1: odor? They they seem to not care about anything (laughs) but weed. Contrary to the restaurants that I talk to who say, oh, you want to bring 200 people in to smoke weed and do dabs? Sure. What time? Nine (laughs) o'clock? I mean, so some places are happy to do it. Other places... you know, it's it's still one like, thing they can hate us. You, you know? know,
0: it's it's. I think it's important to call places like that out and and to stick it in their face and be and be. But at the same time, we don't. Why would you even want to give them your money? Well, because no, that's there's, right. There's so other places. So and
1: that's the key. they you have, have money. You have to let people know because they have to vote with their dollar. Right. Just like right now, you have dispensaries opening up that are owned and operated by people who we can't spend our money with. And all because they're selling weed doesn't mean we should be spending our money with them. If you follow some of these people and you see that they're actually the guys who are trying to get the caregiver system shut down, or they've made statements in the media that go against the common concept. Um, The new thing now is if you have a license, you turn in the unlicensed guy. That's happening all over the country now. California has a bunch of unlicensed dispensaries because cops just really don't go shut things down until there's a complaint And the licensed guy who spent all the money and jumped through all the hoops and did all the right things, he's dropping a dime. We call that snitching. You can't do business like that in my world. So we have a guy, former prosecutor of Oakland County, who has applied for and received multiple provisioning center licenses. I have a campaign where we have If you know the right to life people that stand out with the atrocious pictures at the Westboro Baptist Church, Church, we have our version of God Hates Fags. Basically, it's blown up posters of comments of of the face of the prosecutor and comments he made about weed and how horrible it is and how we can never legalize it. And basically, people will be standing in front of his dispensary saying, do you want to buy weed from this man? Because okay. we should never reward him. Even though he's now on our team, he did some really bad things. He put people Has in he prison. apologized? Probably not. You can't apologize. Has he, has he
0: done anything to help get the people out of jail that he helped put away? Probably not. No,
1: right. So, and that was always my problem when someone... So was, has he
0: really... Turned over to LEAP, or is he just trying to catch No, he's just trying to catch him. And that's
1: always been my problem with uh, the members of LEAP. I'd be inter- introduced to a LEAP member, and they'd be like, hey, this is Howard Woolworth, or this is, uh, you know, whoever. It doesn't matter. How many people did you put in jail for weed? That's my first question. Oh, I never wanted to arrest anybody. I never... Okay, so whose lives did you ruin because you let other officers arrest people? I mean... I can I can't do business with people like that. Cops. I can't do business with prosecutors. If you come and talk against the system well, we have But here's the thing. If it, they
0: if they've genuinely changed their mind and switch teams, then they should be the most vocal people trying to get those people out of jail. They should be apologizing, they should be taking steps to right well, their wrong. The if argument they're is are not doing that the argument then is they're that they're nobody's in really, the argument, contrition.
1: The argument is that nobody's in jail for pot. And they're really not. They're in jail for all kinds of things that a pot charge may have started. But now you have people who, because they got busted for weed, they're on parole or probation. So now they get nicked on those issues because um, they have a violation of some sort. The The real problem is that these people benefited off of the, the illegality and protecting it, not The prosecutor doesn't have to prosecute. Ask any woman that's been raped. If they had to prosecute, there wouldn't be 20,000 rape kits sitting in a warehouse in Detroit. So they do take pick and choose. The thing is, and any cop that's worked a drug task force team will agree with this. Had we people shot back like the heroin dealers and the cocaine dealers, it'd be a different ballgame. But we're low hanging fruit. We're easy. We don't fight back. Yeah, we're, we eat. We're fellow, we stink for the most part. But we stink. Yeah. We're easily found. You know, one of the big court rulings when the Supreme Court said that smell is not a probable cause. Probable cause. Okay, now what, motherfucker? How much weed do I have? You'll never know. I might have a little nug that's loud as can be. You know. Yeah, that's a big. That's a big. Deal, that's a big step, that
0: little change in policy.
1: Well... They'll just
0: find other excuses. But
1: what's interesting is we had a change in law that then creates a change in policy. Once that policy changes, then we have a change in attitude. So I like to relate things to the civil rights movement, and I tell people all the time. There was a time in this country when a black man and a white woman couldn't walk down the street holding hands. Then they passed a law, changed a law, that said... You have the right to do that. That was early sixties, late fifties. That doesn't mean that in Memphis you could do that, because the sheriff wouldn't allow it. The constable would have never allowed no black man and no white woman to walk down his street holding him. Now eventually that guy either died off or got sued or whatever and had to change. But the reality is the law passed and it still took twenty years. And if you're I'm fifty one. If you're my age, it was a whole generation. Forget about walking down the street. You don't think anything of a mixed couple nowadays. Don't think anything of it. There was a some time people do. No, I don't. The, but, but there there's was a still time a lot of people in America that don't like it. They cannot like it all they want. There was a time when they would say something. There was a time when you could get arrested. There was a time yeah. when they'd run you out of town. They'd yeah. burn your house down. They'd lynch you. No, of course, it's I, totally changed. Even, in,
0: even, like you said, even in my lifetime, I grew up in Brooklyn, in Bensonhurst. Right. It was a predominantly Italian and, and Jewish neighborhood, but it was it was a white neighborhood by and large, ninety percent, you know. And back then, when I was a kid, there were no. Black and white couples holding hands walking Correct. down the street. And if there was, there was people staring. Right. And some some jackass was guaranteed to yell say out something, something. Or, be, or say so, something.
1: So the laws passed. And then the attitudes started to change, right? Times change. What happens in the weed game? In the weed game, you have these guys who for all these years had these laws that enriched them, literally, with dollars. And then the laws changed, and now they couldn't do that anymore, which is the complete opposite of the civil rights movement. But it changed their behavior. Now they're dealing with this medical thing, and they're like, "Well, fuck this! How can we? How can our drug dogs tell the difference between medical cannabis and your illegal recreational? Oh, now you have legal recreational cannabis. And then don't forget now there's CBD flower,
0: which looks exactly like. The regular cannabis flower, right. except it has no THC. So right. now you have to actually test the material to find out if it's legal or not. You can't just look at it and say, oh, right. it's illegal.
1: So because cops are these higher mentally thinking people, they're really brilliant. I mean, <laughs> if you think about it, they're, they're fucking brilliant. They realize that, hey, this we, we can't do this. This isn't going to work. So now... You got people that are getting pulled over, who are coming in. The cops like, "How much weed do you got?" Hey man, I'm carded. I got all the cards I need. The cop don't even check because it's not worth his time. Oh, so you got two black guys in the back seat? I don't care anymore. This what happened yeah. in the civil rights movement. Yeah. You what? You know, the, the Italian two Italian guys and the two black guys are out for the night, hanging out, doing what they do. It ain't a problem no more, right? Those days are over. All of a sudden, cop pulls you over. It happened to me. I made an illegal right. I turned right on red. I clearly said, no turn on red. I saw it as I made the turn. And there's the cop sitting right there. I pulled. I was smoking a joint. I put the joint out. He came up to the car. He didn't say a fucking word other than Dude, you know you went through that light. I'm like, and I'm literally already calling my wife. Like, hey, I just got stopped. You got to come get the car because they're going to impound the car because I know I'm going. Guy says, you know why I stopped you? I said, yeah, man, I made that turn. And halfway through it, I knew I was fucked. And then I saw you and I knew I was doubly fucked. And he's like, hey, man, I'm going to run your license. If everything comes back, all right, you'll be out of here in a minute. And I'm like, "How's he not smell the weed? Yeah. He doesn't care, they just don't care anymore, and that's because we've gone from See, well, a medical scene for 10 years you know. to which I mentioned California went medical and it took 20 years. Michigan went medical and it took 10 years. There are states now that are about to introduce both medical and <laughs> recreational law by the, via the legislature, which is almost unheard of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are always th- been initiative a battle initiative, right. So these these eastern because states
0: Because real change always comes from the bottom up. <coughs> it always correct. Comes from the But point. not every state
1: has ballot init- ballot out. So, yeah, yeah. These eastern states they, are, don't have it. they don't have it. But some of them are starting to write common sense laws yeah. in the and they'll pass them all at the same time. I can remember when my buddy got stopped just after medical one of these Native American fellas belongs to the Native American church, has his little Native American card so that when a cop says, hey man, you can't have that weed, he says, no, that's my sacrament, sir, and I'm a church member, and try saying anything because that's a violation, right? So these guys like to play this church game, and they've encouraged me to join the church and get the card. The problem is, if you join the church, I would expect you have to be a believer. And I'm not a believer, so I couldn't lie in order to get a card that wouldn't be right. My man's got his card. But he likes to play the cop, see? So cop pulls him over, smells some weed. He says, no, officer, I'm a caregiver. I've got five patients and myself. That would get us what we call a Michigan, because you're allowed two and a half ounces per patient. We call that a Michigan pound. It's 15 ounces. And we call it a Michigan pound. He says, I got my Michigan pound. Cop says, really? How do I know that? My buddy says, well, I have a scale. You can weigh it out and check it. And on the, sh- on the hood of the sheriff's deputy's vehicle, the sheriff's deputy took my buddy's scale and weighed the bags to see that he had 15 ounces of weed. Wrote him the speeding ticket told them to have a nice day. And this was just after the medical law had changed, but the sheriff's deputy had been told by the sheriff as long as these people have the proper paperwork, the cards, we can't make any cases. The uh, courts aren't going to do yeah. it. The prosecutors So I had a buddy call me one day. He's like, dude, I just had a sheriff weigh up 15 ounces on my fucking hood of my this card. <laughs> and he <laughs> gave it all back. He made me a ticket. That's the greatest day ever. Uh, Changing attitudes. So we're there now. It's happening. And it's because their war on drugs is a failure. You can't, it doesn't matter what you try to keep from the people. If they want it, they will get it. So these attitude changes, one more generation and we'll be all right. The the 60 to 80 year olds that die off in the next 20 years will be good. Because now anybody. Generational shift. We have Correct. to wait for
0: that major general, There's a lot of the people still in power were alive during segregation and were like, right. and just to use this the back to the civil rights example. A, and know, they get it. And they're of that old mentality where we don't want the blacks mingling with the whites and we don't want the potheads right. and the, you know, and they're never going to change. They never, they're that's just going to die and off. Any, and that's yeah. fine. We can yeah. let them die off.
1: We can encourage it. We can feed them bad food. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But these people will eventually make way for people who grew up in a society where everybody smoked weed and if they didn't smoke weed everybody they knew smoked weed and they didn't see any of the problems.
0: Well we've been having so much fun I forgot to take a commercial break but we're gonna have to take one now I think this episode's gonna run a little long but uh, we're gonna come back we got a few more few more things to chat about but uh, stick around uh, blazing in
1: Amsterdam with Adam Brook from hash Bash
0: all right and welcome back to the special amsterdam session here in amsterdam with adam brook uh i'm your host as always bobby black and uh we've been just having a grand old time uh Smoking some hash and and, and chatting about all kinds of uh, stuff, Michigan and legal weed and all kinds of cool shit. Um, I want to talk a little about, since we're here in Amsterdam, uh, and and you and I both love this city and have spent quite a bit of time here, I want to talk a little about Amsterdam, and and I I know you've uh, you've been involved with, uh, you know, we've talked about John Sinclair a while before. Um, You actually work with John Sinclair, uh, which I don't think you mentioned in the first segment. Um, and you guys have done a uh, Radio Free Amsterdam show out here. Uh, you supported him in that. I know you've been involved in that. And, uh, and you were also uh, around for some of the really early Cannabis Cups out here, too. So uh, tell me a little about your experiences in Amsterdam, how you fell in love with the city, and, 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 and why, why you keep sure. coming back. Other well, than the wheat.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Well, so with all due respect, I have to thank Steve Hager. I, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I got involved with uh, High Times Freedom Fighter, and we had we would meet in Ann Arbor before Hash Bash, and they nominated me as Freedom Fighter of the Year, and I was voted on and selected as Freedom Fighter of the Year. And the the award for Freedom Fighter of the Year, it was a all expense paid trip to Amsterdam. So I was invited on this trip, and. Um, it was 1994. It was the first year that the High Times had opened the Cannabis Cup to the general public. But I lived in Ann Arbor, and I was good friends with a man by the name of Tom Harris, who was also Freedom Fighter of the Year at one point before High Times was giving away the pre trip. And Tom, actually a unique side note, Tom is the guy, if you remember the High Times that had the George Washington from the dollar bill on the cover, and it said, I grew hemp. And it had the little bubble.
0: Yeah. Tom
1: Harris designed that. That was his idea. He sent it into High Times. They ran with it, put it on the cover. Anyways, I sell the rubber stamp yeah, to I stamp the say, dollar I've bills. Seen, I've seen I've, a I've, lot of bills over the years. I've probably sold 5,000 rubber stamps over the years. Cool. still have 100, a couple hundred of them at home. So Tom came up with that. But Tom had been the guy prior to me organizing Hash Bash and had become friends with the High Times and actually had come to the first, I want to say the first seven, I could be wrong. He could have been at two through seven, but he showed me videotape back in the day of this High Times Cannabis Cup. Now, we knew that it was being open to the public, but prior to that, it was this group of 10, 12 people sitting around a big table, smoking all these different weeds and deciding after dinner, of course, which one was the best. That's what the first seven were, I had, or first six. I had seen that. I was at the 7th, which was going to be open to the public. Everybody brought out their wares. Every uh, All the coffee shops promoted themselves. It was a big to-do here. So that kind of hooked me into the scene of what canvas cups were and, and the high-times packages and whatnot. I, I uh, was able to go to uh, the Cannabis Castle here on a tour and see uh, – that was the year that the Jack Hair strain was released. Yeah. So, got the year, Epic. yeah, it, yeah. It, it, and that was the first time it had ever been done like that. So nobody was used to; nobody could say I'd seen that before, or worse than that. Everybody went home and said, "Man, I just went and saw and did, and this was a great." And nobody knew what was going to happen next year. So that was kind of cool that High Times did an event. All these people went home and said. This was the greatest thing ever, not knowing what was going to happen the following year. Which, for me, coming to Cannabis Cup was always kind of unique to see what did they put together. Yeah. Um, so I started coming because of that. And, uh, you know, I fell in love with the city. I, I was fascinated by the whole system here because many people think that, oh, man, cannabis and weed's legal here. Well, it's not. It's certainly illegal. Um, it's tolerated. And and tolerated in a way that, not like you know, we tolerate our wives or our mothers (laughs) or our children or anything like that. This is tolerated in a way that we're going to let you break all these laws and do this to this limit. You know, you can sell five grams to a person once a day, and you're allowed to have so much weed in your store, mind you. You can sell this weed and turn right, and but you can turn your money into what's called white money here. There's black money and white money. All this cannabis and all this coffee shop money is white money all of a sudden. So you have these guys who open up a coffee shop. The government tolerates the weed sales in the back. And all the money that's being made there is now legal, good, honorable money that can be banked and used. And, and all of a sudden this industry sprung up here. Now, they've probably closed a third of the coffee shops since I've been coming here. But at the same time, they've increased tourism. And right now, Amsterdam is all about the tourists. There's a waffle shop on every corner. There's um, chip shops, you know, French fry shops. There's something something that didn't used to be is now on every corner because it's about tourists and bringing as many tourists as possible. Um, Not that it has anything to do with weed. Yeah. But the the red light district here is, is a big popular thing. I guess it does have to do with weed. There's coffee shops. In the Especially for place.
0: other Europeans. I think a lot of English, German people come across the board. Yeah, right. For, it, it, so for, the, for,
1: the, for the girls in the <laughs> red light. You if you, but Amsterdam is unique that the red light has been around for centuries. And now they're trying to get rid of it. They closed a third of the red light district. Just by windows just by chasing out the gangsters because many of them were owned by the syndicates they went after the syndicate because they couldn't get rid of them it makes no sense because it's Holland and they're bringing in tourists and what do the tourists want? They want the windows so now you have Dutch people that are outraged that they're trying to control this and at the same time trying to bring in tourists because like you said That's what these tourists are coming here for. For the read, for the red light. Right. And for
0: the yeah culture, museum too. But a good good chunk of it is the vice vice tourism. Right. They've
1: gone as far now as tours that are led by a a tour guide and things like that are banned from the red light district in the evening. So you can lead tours during the day, but not at night. Because they got too busy. Meaning the streets were packed with too many... People, which then encourages things that happen in crowded spaces in Europe, like big bucketing and things like that. But many people don't realize that, yes, they tolerate weed. They have legal prostitution. That's not tolerated. It's legal. They, they have unions and the girls are checked once a month and it's it's legal. The weed is not. The weed is just tolerated. I always laugh that in the summer months, you can walk around Amsterdam, and if you're lucky, you'll catch the smell of fresh-growing weed, because we all know that those last couple weeks, the odor can be kind of tough. And you'll smell weed, and you'll be like, man, I know there's a grow around here somewhere. And the next day, you should go back to that same spot, because there's a good chance you'll see cops tossing plants out of a fourth or fifth-story window into a dumpster because as soon as you can smell it somebody else could smell it huh. and then somebody calls the cops wait a minute why would anybody call the cops this is amsterdam huh? it's illegal it's illegal you have neighbors they're dutch which i encourage all people to study the dutch <laughs> um they are a very unique group of people they really have a the dutch way they have their own way about them and that enables them to tolerate things like cannabis while having legal prostitution. (laughs) It's very unique. Um, But Amsterdam's, I like it because it's an international city. Unlike every other city in the world, everyone here speaks English. Even the the duchiest of the Dutch can speak uh, speak enough English that your dumb tourist ass is going to be all right. People come here and they don't realize that there's this great history here. There's all kinds. It's not just the drug and sex tourism. There's a lot more to do here in Holland. And that's what makes what we do so much fun, in my opinion. Because you can come to Amsterdam, get fucking rocked off your ass, and go do the coolest stuff ever. Um, there's all kinds of museums. I mean, there's a museum yeah. here for every fucking thing you can ever think of. Speaking of museums,
0: I would be remiss if I didn't mention, uh, uh, uh my new venture that with, uh, Yair, yeah, the uh, World of Cannabis Museum that I'm here working on. I mentioned, uh, at the beginning of the program, um, and it's been, like I said, it's been great having you here while we've been working on the project and we've been talking a lot and you actually, uh, have quite a collection yourself and you brought us some really cool items for our collection to include in the museum, uh. Tell, tell me tell us a little about some of the items you brought. I know there was a a, a, a Life magazine, a first
1: edition High Times. Uh, do you remember all the stuff that you brought? You know some damn well I don't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, the greatest witness. If you ever need me, if you ever need a witness in court, all you have to do is subpoena me, and I will get up on the stand and I will explain how I cannot remember that <laughs> damn thing. But I do remember, yeah. yeah. So I had, uh, there's a, a Life magazine that had a, a fingers holding a big joint, pretty well known. Um, I had, that was from the 60s. Yeah, I know. think it might have been 69. I have a few of yeah. those. So I have this problem where I collected stuff that A, I liked, and B, I knew would be worth something at some point. And if it's worth something, then having one is okay, but having six is six times more valuable, yeah. right? So I have these collections where I would buy two and three of things. So when you guys popped up with the museum, I knew that, hey, there are certain classic things that if you don't have, you'd be remiss. Life Magazine, classic example. Of course, I've been doing this for 30 years. So I was also proud that you have like the American Magazine. Now, I may or may not have a better copy I don't know. I have to find my copies. I know I have a few. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I did was I have um, a couple full collections of High Times magazines up until the early 90s, or maybe through the mid-90s. I have th- two complete copies of the first 10 years that I know of. Wow. I bought one, and I created another. But I would—I started buying first edition, first printings, and there's multiple for first printings. And knowing which ones you have and pricing. Yeah, there's
0: four versions of the first issue. Right. Four different versions.
1: And knowing which versions you have and, better than that, which versions you're looking at when you're buying them online. Because sometimes people don't know what they have. So I collected. I, I have like half a dozen different first editions. I know I have one of each in mint condition put away. And I've found some others. So I brought one of those. There are... Uh, what other things did I... Bring? That's
0: crazy. I worked there for 21 years and I don't even have a copy. The first edition, we didn't have any in the office. We no, no, right. Any. We never yeah. had any. I mean, I, I had seen them before. I had held them before. But I there was never like copies around. No one had them.
1: No one. Well, so I used to buy back issues. My my account number for High Times Magazine was 00009. So I don't know how many people, obviously, they had opened accounts for before I came. Or what they did for merchandising but they weren't selling a lot of merchandise in the early days when i had gotten involved but i had a traveling head shop and one of the things i found was that they sold back issues and if you're going to sell me back issues for four or five bucks a piece i can get 10 i'll buy them all day long and i was shocked at how many old ones they had but they had nothing from the 70s they had nothing from the early 80s it's like the the as we got in the later dates, the earlier dates just disappeared. Yeah. Um, you couldn't get anything with cocaine on the cover; those didn't exist at all. We had some of those
0: at the office, right, but right. you couldn't buy Not them. From, lot, but but you the couldn't buy them right.
1: to resell, which I yeah, can understand. That when they got to a certain level, then they brought them back in house, and that was the end. Yeah, of because we had to but like we had to keep them for posterity, right? For right reference. Right. So it was everything. interesting because I knew at the time that. Not the industry because it didn't exist, the movement was going to spawn other pot type magazines. And it had in the past. There are all kinds over yeah, the years right. that.
0: We've got a few other randos in the right. collection down there. Head <laughs> so
1: magazine, things like that. But I, I knew that High Times was still the classic. So I was just buying them up when I could and where I could. And I have a pretty big collection of those. And anything that I could get my hands on that was pot related. I collected every event I was at I took multiple stacks of flyers you know so my collection was one that I didn't know what I was ever going to do with it other than turn it into cash because I wasn't looking to do anything and and I was collecting I wasn't it wasn't a personal thing I was collecting I would search eBay and you know when eBay first came out and you could buy things that people didn't know what they had or um, now things are a little a little different but uh, at one point I lived in an apartment
0: and I had my
1: shit spread out all my weed stuff was on the wall posters Um, I had uh, bookcases filled with magazines and books and you know my museum was on display I would have friends come over and roll their own joint and smoke their own joint as they walked around piddling with all my collection you know
0: so how my office used to be right right how my home office kind of
1: is now so, you know, for me, collecting was, was an easy thing. I, I'm kind of happy that some of the unique stuff has a place to go. But uh, for me, the thought that there would be a museum or something was kind of, who would want the stuff we collected? However, at the same time in, Am- in Amsterdam was the Cincy set up and their hemp and marijuana museum. Sure, yeah. And Ben had once asked, if uh, I would be interested in donating my tri- my Freedom Fighter tri-corner to his museum. Ben Junkers is yeah. the owner uh,
0: since he's seen
1: in the museum. But go ahead. And I thought about it, but I use it. So I, I never would give it up that way. Because I wear it every year at Hash Bash, as silly as the damn thing looks. But I never really gave any thought to a real museum. Because to me, and I'm not denigrating his museum in any way, shape, or form... But his museum is a tourist attraction. It doesn't do the the job of taking the artifacts of the weed movement or game and maintaining them or securing them. World of Cannabis Museum seems like you folks wanna make sure that if there's a sign available from the Mellow Yellow, or if there's a Bulldog sign that may be available that that's something you want because it's historical in nature and it shouldn't get thrown in the dustbin. It it, it has historical, uh, you know, significance. That's a unique type of museum to me. Much different than an educational type museum where we're trying to teach people about fuel, food, fiber, and medicine and the things that the Sensi Museum does, which is great and it's a beautiful place. Yeah. I encourage people to go check absolutely, it out. Absolutely. Um if you're a tourist coming to Amsterdam, there's a few things you gotta do. You gotta walk around the red light district. When you walk around the red light district, you'll see Cannabis Museum. Go in. You gotta check out the Van Gogh Museum because well, everyone's seen the picture of him with his ear cut off, but there's there's <laughs> no, other his work's amazing. Right. Uh the Rijks
0: Museum, like you mentioned, Rembrandt and the And the you Dutch can do Masters, these things high. So. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, But it's no. The cool thing is, Amsterdam may be intimidating, but everyone speaks English. It's the easiest place to get around. There's all kinds of public transportation. If you can walk, you don't need the public transportation. You can walk across town much faster than you can take a tram around town. Yeah. But it's an easy city. It's easy if you're a first time traveler. You'll have an easy time coming here because it's based on tourism. That's what Amsterdam's set up for, and they make it super easy. So there's a waffle house on every corner. There's a cheese shop on every corner. There's all these places that deal with tour, you know, cater the tourism.
0: But and then of course there's the coffee shops, which is what a lot of our, you know, my listeners of course will be interested in. uh, Aside from all the great restaurants, museums, and stuff. And uh, there's just there's a there's still a lot of really I know you said a bunch closed and they have but there's still oh, a lot yeah. of really great uh, coffee shops here uh, that are very welcoming and, and and really cool to hang out in and uh,
1: there is a coffee shop here for everybody every coffee shop like I said has its own ambiance and its own crowd I hang out at the greenhouse because I like the people the, the people that work there the you know the yeah. we laugh we joke <laughs> on the customers I mean that's that's uh, yeah. You know, that's what it's about. Plus, they have a terrace. Summer months, we sit out on yeah. the terrace. You and Steve Hayes, the Peanut Gallery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's,
0: it's been real fun hanging out with you guys there and uh, and around town. And uh, always a pleasure to spend time with you guys. I'm glad that we got to spend this time together and reconnect here. This has been a lot of fun, but uh, I think it's time to wind it down. Uh, we could talk all night. Yeah, we could. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, seriously, like when you first walked through the door when you got to town, like I think we talked for about three or four hours straight without that stopping. And uh, I wish I'd been running a recorder then, but you know what? This has been just as good a conversation, man. So, uh, well, tell tell everybody where they can uh, find out find you online and find out about your projects.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm easy to find. I'm my Instagram is Adam L I'm available on Facebook. I also produce the Hash Bash Cup, and uh, you can find us at HashBashCup.com or at HashBash.com.
0: Cool. Well, I encourage you guys to learn more about Hash Bash and, and its place in cannabis history. We have lots of Hash Bash items in our collection, and it will be featured uh, pretty prominently, I, I would venture to say, in the World of Cannabis Museum. And uh, also look up look up more about John Sinclair if you're not familiar with him. He's a, a true legend, true hero in the cannabis community, who I hope to have on this show, uh, on the upcoming show. Yeah, so uh, look into it, check it out, and I hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to us as much as we've enjoyed listening to each other. <laughs> and uh, thanks for listening once again. Uh, this is Bobby Black saying peace off. All right, and that brings us to the end of another episode of Canthropology. For more information on today's guests and the topics we discussed, check out our blog at worldofcannabis.museum slash canthropology. If there's a guest or topic you'd like to hear us cover, or you have an item you think is worthy of inclusion in our museum, you can hit us up on social media or shoot us an email at canthropology at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this show, we invite you to go ahead and click that subscribe button. Leave us a review, share it with your friends, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. A quick shout-out to our amazing media partners, Cannabis Radio and Hayes Radio, as well as Leaf Canosaur, Skunk, Cannapolitan, Greenleaf, and Happy Monkey Magazines. Thanks again for listening. Join us again next time when we'll be tackling the important topic of cannabis and racism with the founder and executive director of the Equity Organization, Natalie Papillon. Until then, this is Bobby Black, and I am history.